0: Did everybody notice that the leaves are starting to change? The change is in the air. Autumn is here. And if you are new, welcome. We're excited to go ahead and worship with you. We only ask that you fill out a connection card so we can keep you up to date on all the latest events and put it in the connection box at the rear of the sanctuary or on the door in the office. And with that, let's go to the Lord as God's people of prayer. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we love you. You are a rock, our redeemer. You alone are holy. Thank you for making us on purpose and thank you for making us for purpose. Draw us to you, your people, and comfort us in this life and restore our souls. Lord, forgive us when we confess and repent for those things that harm our relationship with you and help us to forgive those that confess and repent harm done to the relationship with us bring wholeness and through your grace and your love to, to our community both inside and out and to those around us. And heal us, Lord, from the, from the effects of, of sin in this world, a world that smears our hearts with ugliness. And we ask you to cleanse us with your spirit and tend to the wounds within our community. Hear us even when we don't have words to cry out or we don't even know how to cry out. And bless our leaders globally, nationally, and locally. Lead us to be a light of Christ in the darkness and, and send us to where you would have us go. And we pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. If you please stand, we're going to enter into worship with song. <clears throat> Scripture shares that perfect love casts out all fear and When we stand in the love of God, fear does not have a chance. When we stand in the love of God, joy overcomes. When we stand in the love of God, chains that have been holding us for our whole life snap. Graves empty out. And the power of Christ's resurrection fills us and transforms us. Sorry, Capo. was <laughs> <laughs> <How's>
1: it me to say. Wasn't you? <laughs> when darkness tries to roll over my bones. When sorrow comes to steal the joy I own. When brokenness and pain is all I know, I won't be shaken. I won't be shaken. My fear. Stand a chance when I stand in your love. Shame no longer has a place to hide. I'm not a cat to the lies. I'm not afraid to leave my past behind. I shaking I won't be shaking There's power that can empty out a grave. There's resurrection power that can save. power. This is power.
0: the blood of christ all powerful is there anything that the blood of christ cannot cleanse no so what can wash away our sin nothing but the blood of jesus
1: Nothing can for sin atone, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Not of good that I have done, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white. And Glory, glory, this I see, nothing but the blood of Jesus. All my praise for this I bring nothing but the blood of Jesus.
0: For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever should believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. What
1: can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus.
0: As we read God's word. Psalm 51, 1 through 2, 10 through 12, and 17. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. The sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and put a right spirit in me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation, your salvation, and sustain me in a willing spirit. As we continue to worship the Lord, I'm reminded of Philippians 2 9 through 11. God exalted him at the highest place and gave him the name above all names that the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father. And we will build our life upon him.
1: Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever breathe. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever sin. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. We live for you. Holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. and lead me in your love to those all around me. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. We live for you, we live for you. Only there is no one like you, there is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to the Oh yeah.
0: Heavenly Father, we come before you and we do so with grateful hearts for you are our God, and we are your people. Lord, you provide and sustain all that we need in this life. And we are so grateful for the gifts and the blessings that you have provided for us for the work, for the retirement, for the income. Lord, you are creator of all things, even these. And we ask, Lord, that you put upon us to to joyfully give these tithes and these offerings to you. Lord, that we would invest in your work in the local church, that we would invest into your kingdom that souls may be saved, that we invest, Lord, into your community, that others may join it and know eternal life and the freedom that comes in confession that you, Jesus, are Lord and Savior of all. Bless these to your glory, we ask. And in Jesus' name, all of God's people said, amen. Amen. And while we're kind of still standing up, why don't we go ahead and pass the peace and go say hi to someone you haven't said hi yet today to.
1: disappear.
0: just sit I got to do anything I I enjoy
2: being Good morning everybody Hey, I, have, I actually have quite a, quite a few announcements today, so you bear with me. Uh, first, am actually for turn uh, for Fall Festival and some info on that. Good
3: morning. Good morning. So we've done trunk or treats and, and you go to Fall Festivals, but why not just put it all together and come on the 29th of October? Um, it'll be right after church at 12. It'll be 12 to two. Invite all the kids. There will also be lunch provided. There will be fun carnival themed lunch, just kind of keep with it. And during that we'll do a craft, and then the kids will get to go trick or treating down the hallway to all the doors. They'll be decorated and people will be behind it and they'll be able to knock and you'll be able to give candy. And then after that, they'll come back and we'll have carnival games for all the kids. So, you can invite kids in your neighborhood. You can invite the kids that you see at a grocery store, but talk to their parents first. Um, there are flyers out in the foyer that you can hand out, hand it to family members. We want to allow um, families to come and be together and enjoy the Harvest Festival, the Fall Festival. And I invite you all to come, because there'll be lunch afterwards and crafts and all these fun things. And What we need from you, what do we need from you? We need candy. We need to have the kids trick or treat. They're going to have six doors. So it would be nice to have some candy. So if you guys could bring candy over the next couple weeks, it would be really helpful. And then you could just come and enjoy it and then just spread the word. Sound good? I think so. And by the way, my mom made me bring this. But if you have any more questions, you can go talk to my mom about it, which is Janelle. Who is Janelle?
2: Awesome. Thank you, Ashley. Yeah, and pray about that, and definitely think about the uh, donations so we can bring some candy, and that's going to be an awesome time. Okay, I'm going to get through the rest of these here. So Pastor Steve wanted me to make an announcement to thank you all. Um, we recently were able to provide a blessing of a love offering to Pastor Steve and Anita, and we, they wanted to say thank you very much. And thank so, much. and we love them, and they love us, so uh, Pastor Steve want to make that announcement to you all. The next in line with that is going to be Pastor Appreciation, so it's this month. Um, Call pastors. We've got Pastor Chad, we've got Pastor Jim, we've got uh, Pastor Steve, and then we've got Pastor Jason, of course. And uh, we want to appreciate them and love on them this month. So continue to pray about that and uh, call, uh, send them a text, and maybe take them out to lunch, something like that. But let's let's bless our pastors and just let them know that they're loved um, this month, but every month too. Um, And then. Also, Carolyn Perry wanted me to make an announcement for the senior lunch at DeChico's. It's going to be 11.30 at uh, DeChico's on Thursday. So that's coming up this week. And then the last couple ones are going to be for um, the prayer meeting is going to be changing from Tuesdays to Thursdays, beginning on November 2nd. Um, So keep that in mind. That's going to be a change there. And then the other is continued prayer for the treasurer. So we're going to have a change in our treasure, and we need... Uh, someone to take that role. So pray about that and think about that. If you know, if you want to, or you want to know someone that might be good, talk with them and let pastor know or let someone on the board know. Um, and then we've got, lastly, we've got Grow Group. So Grow Group, we've got a new book. I forgot to bring it up. Of course, I grabbed it. Um, but that's going to be on November 2nd, 630 to 8. The books are in the back on the little welcome table. And the donation for that is $10. 10 um, and we're going to cover that on, yeah, November the 2nd uh, in the lobby. So, okay, that's all I got. Thank you very much, All right. Very good. If you have your Bible apps, we're going to be in 2 Samuel
0: 11. There we go. Yeah. If you have your Bible apps, there we go. We're going to be in 2 Samuel 11 through 12. In our pew Bible, it's going to be page 221 through 222 pew, pew, pew. All right. That was for all the Star Wars fans. Uh, This morning, we're going to be unpacking confession. Uh, We really tend to overcomplicate confession and we turn confession into something it's not. And when we do that, we have a tendency to hold back or we have a tendency to pretend like there's really nothing to confess because we don't like to go there. And so for an example. How many times do we get hurt, or we get the flu, or we get sick, we take a fall, we hurt our back, our hips, our knees, our ankles, some other body part, and I was talking to a friend about this exact thing, and we were laughing because we have both experienced this, see if you've experienced it too, and so <clears throat> you just got hurt, you're walking around, your back's killing you, you can barely bend over, you can barely walk, and someone comes up, a family friend, a friend, a family member, your spouse, the kids, whatever, they come over and they ask what's wrong and of course you can't talk very good because your back hurts and it's I'm okay, I really am, I just had a fever last week, I saw the light was out, I decided to change the light bulb, I stepped on a, a stool, I fell over, I landed on the edge of the coffee table, <coughs> ow, I think I broke a rib, I'm coughing up blood and um, twisted my ankle, but I'm good. I just need a good night's sleep. Mm. There's nothing wrong with me at all. And so our friend, you know, our family member, they say, hey, you know what, maybe you want to go get this checked out to go to the doctor, and our response is, I don't like doctors because they just tell me what's wrong. And the same is with confession, isn't it? Isn't that why we don't like to confess? Because we have to admit that maybe we're not as healthy as we want to pretend that we are. So if you could please stand for the reading of God's word second Samuel 11 1 through 6 15 26 through 27 second Samuel 12 7 through 10 12 through 13 in the spring of the year the time when the kings go out to battle David sent Joab with his officers and all of Israel with him they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. It happened one late afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking about on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to inquire about the woman, and it was reported, This is Bathsheba, daughter of Eliam, wife of Uriah the Hittite. So David sent messengers to get her, and she came to him, and he lay with her, and now she was purifying herself after a period. When she uh, returned to her house, the woman conceived, and she sent sent and told David, "I'm pregnant." So David sent word to Joab, "Send me Uriah the Hittite." And Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to David, came to him, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were, and how was the war going. And David said to Uriah, "Go down to your house and wash your feet." So Uriah left the palace, and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance up to the palace with all of his master's servants that did not go down to his house. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter, he wrote, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him so they may be struck down and die. When the wife of Uriah heard that her husband was dead, she made lamentation for him. When the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house and she became his wife and bore him a son. Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. I rescued you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house, your master's wives and your bosom, and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have added much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord? Why why, uh, to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife. You have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart your house, and you have despised me. You have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. For you did it secretly. But I do this thing before all of Israel and before the sun. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan said to David, Now the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. This has been the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We don't often think of sin as vandalizing our souls, but that's exactly what sin does. Sin twists. God's truth. Sin violates love. Sin abuses. Sin takes what is pure and then pollutes it. It casts shame onto that which is innocent. It shatters the brilliance of the image of God in which we are all created. Sin damages our relationships, including our relationship with God and our intimacy with our Lord. In our text this morning, we're seeing how King David moved from this being tempted and into sin and and the result of vandalism upon his soul, upon the souls of those that that were around him and that he interacted with, as, as well as a break in the peace between he and God. You see, there's something about temptation. Temptation is found in places where we don't belong. 2 Samuel Uh, begins in verse 1 with, the time when kings go out to battle, but David remained where? In Jerusalem. Have you ever stood in awe and wonder of the destruction of of sin in your lives, of of the state of brokenness that you may be experiencing and and you cry out to God, what happened? How did I get here? When everything was so good here, what went wrong? Well, this morning, we get some insight to to these questions and and how temptation leads to sin. You see, verse two of of our text this morning reads, It happened late one afternoon. And that just, to me, that sounds like the, the beginning of a really scary movie or a great novel. It happened late one afternoon. Bum, bum, bum. See, the thing is about, about it is that it is temptation. It happens. It happened late one afternoon for David. It happened. And it keeps happening. It happens, and we can't get away from it. And while David should be in battle with his armies with the rest of the kings that we read in our Scripture, he's home relaxing on the roof overlooking the city. And that's when it happens. That's when temptation strikes. And so I was looking at the passage. Maybe David, you know, he was just on the roof and, and the reflection of the sunlight glittering on the water, caught his eye, so he went over and and he had the the best of intentions because he was really up there to pray and now he's kind of spying. See, we don't know why. Scripture doesn't share why David comes to watching the wife of his friend bathe. And he could have just stopped there. He could have just repented and, and said to God, hey, I've got less than pure desires for what I saw. I apologize, Lord. Please forgive me. Help me not to happen again. And what do I go from here? But he doesn't do that. He keeps watching. And then he takes action and he justifies it. So he sends someone, go find out who who that, that woman is. And isn't that how sin works? It takes temptation, it twists God's truth. And then we have a justification of an action that leads to an untruth. We tell ourselves, like King David, there's nothing wrong with knowing, it's just a name. I just want to know who that person is. And, and maybe he just justified that he needed to tell Bathsheba that she needs to put up a privacy, privacy, privacy screen. And, and he's just watching out for her. He just doesn't want anybody else to, to intrude upon her privacy while she's up on her, her roof and King David's up on his. and I don't know. It just seems like Temptation is so easy to fall into when we take God's truths and begin to unwrap them and we twist them around and they become untruths and then we step into something and then we begin to to lie about our motives like in the Garden of Eden and, and then soon we find ourselves grasping out that which is desirable to the eyes and to the senses and then we touch and grab what does not belong to us. And the result is a vandalism of our soul. It's a harm and destruction of our relationships. And then David sins for Bathsheba. And and both of them break covenant with God. They both commit adultery. They're both married. And they're in a situation that neither one should be in. And it leads up to a pregnancy that needs to be covered up. And I wonder at what point King David went, what happened? How did I get here? How did I get here when I shouldn't have been? How did I get here when all I was doing was just walking on my roof? How did I get here when all I did was try to help out a a friend's wife? How did I get here and now she's pregnant? See, David was in a place he never should have been in the first place. He shouldn't have been on his roof. He should have been fulfilling his kingly responsibilities and being with his troops out in the field he chose not to he chose not to be where he was supposed to be he chose intentionally to be to where he was not where he did not belong and that's when it happens it happens when we find ourselves in places and positions that we don't belong it happens when we see something pleasing to the eye and we go ahead and grasp it but it happens in the blink of an eye and it happens when we let our guard down. And so just like in the Garden of Eden with, uh, with Adam and Eve trying to cover up their sins, so David tried and Bathsheba tried to cover up, up theirs. And a little background on Uriah. Uriah was one of King David's friends. He was one of King David's 33 mighty men. He was one of the ones that King David held close when King Saul was trying to kill King David in the desert and King David's running for his life. Uriah was right there. Uriah risked his life for King David. And he helped King David to to succeed King Saul and become the king that he is. King David and Uriah knew each other. And Uriah, and this is the Uriah that David calls back from the battle line to try to go ahead with a hope that that he, that Uriah would go ahead and hang out with his wife and then the pregnancy could be blamed on Uriah or given credit to Uriah instead of King David and then send Uriah back to the battle line. That was the idea. That was the cover-up. And it was a good plan until he'll find out that Uriah has more integrity than King David. And it doesn't happen like that. You see, remember it? That temptation? It. It. The temptation that affects all of humanity. It happened late one afternoon. It happens. Temptation happens so innocently. Just walking on the roof leads to this. And when temptation is followed by an action away from God's truth, when, when we're tempted and we take action that is contrary to what God would have in our lives, that's sin. That's a brokenness. It's going against God's commandments. This is what happened in the Garden of Eden. And this is what happened to King David. And now King David's in a spot where he needs to go ahead and co- he's attempting to cover up the consequences of not obeying God. The consequences of sin. You know that we're good at justifying our poor choices. We enjoy weaving half-truths. We lie to ourselves to soothe the guilt and the emptiness of our souls when we find ourselves in a position like King David. I'm not saying that we're in the position of having uh, to explain that our best friend's wife's pregnant. But I'm talking about the justification when we find ourselves in sin. We find ourselves in sin, and it started so innocently, but it happened. And how did we get here? How did we get to the point of this sin being vandalism and causing wreckage on us? And and here we are, King David, a man after God's own heart. We want to be a people after God's own heart. And this is our example? King David justifying and covering up his sin by having his friend killed? You see, there's something amazing about our God. When when you confess Christ as Lord and Savior, you're filled with the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God will convict you. The Spirit of God will rebuke you. And the Spirit of God will help restore you when we fall into and we step over the line from temptation into sin. Because temptation is real, and so is the vandalism of temptation upon our souls. It smears us. It marks us. It mars us. It covers up that image of God that wants to, that the Lord wants to shine brightly through us to all of creation to bear witness to Him as His ambassadors. To be Spirit-led. And when we cease being led by the Spirit and we lead ourselves, we cause a distance between us and God and we step from temptation into sin and it's only through confession that the lord can go ahead and restore us so and too often you know we with confession like i said we try to complicate it and what we do with confession is we try to make it into this right Let's see if i can get this right there we go this is what we think of when we think of of confession we dismiss it as a as a practice for other christian traditions that yeah confession that's for the catholics that's for the orthodox or we go around in a joking manner i can't tell you how many times i've had this outfit on and somebody coming up from the church looking at me and going father father forgive me for i have sinned and i get it confession is awkward confession is something that it's not normally embraced in the Protestant church and it's the thing is is that we begin to take on this perspective that confession is not for us it's for those other people it's for the sinners it's that that we don't have to confess and and if we don't and if we do confess we just confess what we you know what's comfortable we don't really get into the those other things because if we actually admit that we need confession on that other thing, then maybe we're going to have to face the consequences to our actions, the consequences to our sins. And if we don't confess, then maybe everything will go away and no one's going to get hurt and no one's going to find out and I can just keep hiding because it's just between me and God, right? My sin never affects anybody else. So it's between me and God. And and so if, if God is good, and I'm going to stand over here in my unconfessed sin and say, like, eh, I'm, I'm, I'm good. And so you're good, I'm good. We're good enough. We don't need to worry about that little business. And we, when we hold on to that which needs to be confessed, we damage ourselves. We carry a burden that we are not created to carry. Jesus died on the cross, so we don't have to carry the weight of sin in our life. Now, as Protestants, we, we hold to the truth that, that you, we don't need to go to a priest and we don't need to go to clergy to ask for forgiveness, to be absolved of our sins. We can go straight to the Lord by faith in Christ. And that said, we, we take our wants, we take our desires, we take our needs, we take all of that to God, right? We do. We take our petitions, we take our worship, we take our praise, we take that to God, Right? But how many of us take our sins so seriously enough that we confess that to God? Not often. I know that years ago I began the, the practice. I was in school and they were talking about confession and we had to go and practice it. And I began to hold on to this practice of confession. And as soon as I feel convicted by the Lord, I pause, pause, pray, proceed. Remember that? So I will I will pause. I will go to God, I will seek out His truth, and if the Lord convicts me of sin, then I'll stop, I'll confess, you repent, and you don't do it anymore. The power of Christ is within you if you know Him, and you don't have to, and you don't have to keep on living in that sin. You don't have to give in to temptation. And when I found out, the more I practiced confession of God of every little thing that all of a sudden I'm getting convicted of, I'm feeling lighter and brighter, and I'm walking in a freedom and a relationship that I didn't know existed because I don't have to worry about and waste energy on all those other things of trying to hide and cover up those things in which I never should have done in the first place. Instead of going and finding myself in those places where it happens, where those temptations, I try to think, Am I, is this where I belong? Do I really need to be here? What is my business? What is my purpose? Have I sought God? You know, and then I know that there's some people that I've talked to that said that, that I'm Christian. I'm forgiven. Jesus died for me. I don't have to confess anything because really I don't even sin anymore because Jesus took care of it all. And really, that's the heart of the issue with sin, is confession. And we dismiss it as this ugly necessity for others, and, and we don't consider the vandalism that it does upon us and upon those around us when we live into sin and the ugliness that we smear on others. And when we look at scripture this morning, we're looking at King David, who is convicted by God through the prophet Nathan to go ahead and, and convict David of his sin. And this is important because David is a follower of God. David is a man after God's own heart. And if a man after God's own heart is convicted by God to go ahead and confess, then maybe there's something there for us as well. Because he's speaking to a believer, and confession is for everyone including those that profess to follow Christ. And in God's rebuke of David through the uh, prophet um, Nathan, the Lord showed the effects of sin and, and the violation of love that comes from living into sin's untruth. And verses 9 through 12, sin reveals that sin brings destruction to us and those closest to us. It, it brings trouble, it brings brokenness, and it, and it devalues the relationships in our life and our intimacy with god it isolates us as we begin to wallow in shame and guilt and we begin to go ahead and isolate from the community because we're too worried about people going ahead and finding out what happened see the effect of sin keeps us from from being whole because it erodes us from the inside out it erodes us from desiring God's will. It erodes us from the way that God intended for us to be, from the very inception of creation, from our very DNA. So we're going to look at the cycle of temptation and, and restoration, and, and how it goes ahead and plays out. See, we got to remember that Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, and but he didn't cross the line into the sin. There's, we will be tempted. Temptation doesn't come for God, by the way. Temptation comes from our sinful nature. And so Jesus kept His focus on God. Jesus kept His focus on God's Word. Jesus kept His focus on God's truth. That's how He doesn't step in and over the line. In fact, Jesus' response to Satan in the wilderness when he's being tempted is reciting God's Scripture out of the book of Deuteronomy. And Jesus lets Scripture speak. Jesus lets trusting God speak and Jesus simply lets the Spirit of God fight, and he surrenders to God's truth just by saying no to sin. See, temptation isn't a sin, like I said, It's but it is a distraction to God's word and God's truth and God's will for our lives. And as I mentioned earlier, the power of God's Spirit that lives in Jesus that kept him pure from sinning his whole life is the same power of, uh, that is in within you if you believe in Jesus as a risen Lord and Savior. You don't have to sin if you don't want to. It's called being sanctified. It's taking our life and setting it fully, fully apart for God's purposes and seeking Him in all things and giving everything we have, everything we are, and everything we will ever become to Him. And His Spirit within us will convict us so we don't have to step over that line if we're willing to listen. And if we aren't willing to listen and we do find ourselves in sin, we simply need to go ahead and confess just like we would if we were going to go to the doctor. See, we have choices. If you follow Jesus, you have a choice. You know, so let's go ahead and and follow the example of our Savior instead of the example that we see King David this morning. And so, we always want to start as a place in God's truth. And temptation's going to occur. And temptation often occurs, like I said, in where we do not belong. And right here we have a line. That line of action. That line of action from King David, go and find out who that woman is. Up until then, he hadn't gone ahead and really done anything too bad. That would be between him and God. But he crosses the line. He finds out he has Bathsheba come. And they sin. They live into God's untruth. Then Nathan comes. And things begin to change. See, up until this point in sin's untruth, this is it. Happened late one afternoon, and then King David saying, "Like how did I get here that way?" And he's right there. So where do you go to here, and and why do we need to confess our sin? And and the answer can be found partly in Newton's law of physics that every action needs an equal and op- equal and opposite reaction. See. If sin is, or if temptation is acted into, it's sin and living in sin's untruth. And that means that another action needs to be taken to get back to restoration. And that action is confession. David doesn't confess of his sin against Bathsheba. First, he confesses of his sin against God. And then he moves on from there. He owns it. And when he begins to own it, God's grace and His mercy keep him from dying. Because that's what sin brings, right? Is death. That weight that you're that you're carrying for unconfessed sin, that sin that I know that you want to give up, I know that it's difficult to do, and I know that you need to rely on the power of God, that sin, God will forgive you if you go to God and confess. God is faithful. God is just. And He will forgive you and cleanse you of that sin and help you not to fall into it again. And it takes confession. See, Romans 10.9 states that if we confess with our lips that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God rose Him from the dead, we will be saved. Confession is nothing more than simply agreeing with God's truth. Confession isn't a bad thing. Confession isn't a judgmental thing. Confession is, I agree with you, God. You're right, and I'm going to obey you because I trust you and I know that you're right. Confession returns our eyes to fix on Christ. You see, when we come to the Lord and we confess that Jesus is Lord of our lives, He doesn't just want the the bits and bobs. He He doesn't want the parts and the pieces. And He doesn't want us to pick and choose what He is Lord over. He wants to be Lord over our whole lives. And the Lord restores us through confession, through agreement with Him when we began to allow all of our life, all area of our life to fall under agreement, to fall under confession of His truths. Here, King David, a man after God's own heart, sinned against God. He sinned against his wife. He sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against Uriah. He sinned against his army. He sinned against his community. He sinned against Uh, all the nation of Israel and his family, and the effects go outward and onward. David bought destruction to his home, to the lives of his loved ones, to his community. He failed to live in the responsibility that God gave him as king, and he became guilty of murder. And yet, thanks to God's grace, by confession, God begins to restore his soul. David still has to go ahead and there's an accounting and David's going to be responsible for his sin God doesn't take away that but God does go ahead and take away the eternal consequence and forgives us he writes the relationship between us and him that sin breaks so we can be at peace and we can hear the spirit so we don't have to have brokenness anymore that we can be a people after God's own heart David says, Lord, I have sinned against you. And Nathan's response is, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. You see, the Lord restores us from death to life when we first confess Christ and continues to restore us to a life and love of fullness when we confess our sins to Him. Because it's God, not us, that puts away our sins. It's God, not us, that gives life. And it is God that opens up the opportunity for us to confess so that God, not us, can restore us to wholeness can bring restoration, can remove the vandalism of sin from our souls and restore that image and likeness of God in us in which we were created. But it takes living in God's truths that's marked by God's grace in our lives and by God's grace we are cleansed of all of our sins. And when when we confess, it shows God is active in our lives and, and God enters into the messes of our lives because we're not holding back from God. Sin has us hold back from God. Sin has us hold back from God's truth. Sin traps us in the untruse. Confession releases us from prison, from bondage, from wreckage, from vandalism, from having our souls smeared. And it is through God's grace that we acknowledge that we can't fix ourselves even more, even more, even more than we could perform brain surgery on ourselves. It takes confession and coming into agreement with God to admit that something is not as it should be. See, if we need heart surgery, we're going to go ahead and either confess to a doctor that something's wrong or we're going to die a slow and painful death. The same with us and God. We can slowly spiritually waste away With a spiritual life that's clogged with sin. Or we can confess to God that we need help unclog our spiritual life and experience the restoration that that God promises and wants to give us to restore us. We read Psalm 51. This is David's confession. Psalm 51 is a very raw and real confession of David's sin because of what happened one late afternoon. And David writes in his confessional prayer of this cleansing of the forgiveness, of restoration, of of being a man after God's own heart and wanting God to, to not distance himself from David. And David recognizes right here that this confession is not punishment. This confession brings life. This confession brings healing. This confession is an act of submission to God to allow God to do God's work. And for David not to play God, and David understands that it's from God's love that that removes the disease of sin. That it's from God's love that restores us into a right relationship with Him. And in Psalm fifty-one-one, he recognizes that God does not cover up our sin. He doesn't take our sin and say, "There, now you can't see it." God doesn't have a bunch of sticky notes that he just covers our sin up with. The Lord blots them out. And in the Hebrew word, blot out means fully, completely removed. In fact, the term, the literal term, literal translation of of this Hebrew word is annihilate. In other words, God annihilates our sin when we confess it. Do you understand the implications of this? That means the sin that you're holding on to, the sin that has become a weight, the sin that has been strangling you, the sin that has become part of your identity, God will annihilate it. Annihilate it. It won't even exist anymore. That's God's grace. That's living in freedom. You know what? And that can be utterly frightening. Because it means God is really who He is. He's really worthy of worship. He's really worthy of obeying. He really does love us. He really does want to have. He really does have our best interests at heart. That God is all and all, and He does what He promises. This means that when we confess that He's Lord, He wants to be Lord over all of our lives, and not just those parts that that we say like, "Be a Lord of this part of my life," but not this part of my life. It means that there's more to life than guilt and shame. It means there's a new freedom and a new way to love and a new experience that we all can have because we are free from the sin in which has been burdening us. Confession isn't a punishment. Confession is just asking God to cleanse, create, restore, and draw us close to Him. See, that's what happens when you just try to cover up sin. The sticky note falls off. And everybody can see it again. Confession means we go to God with a broken heart and say, It's not working. Can you fix it? Because I can't. See, confession brings restoration from brokenness. We looked at what happens in the movement of of temptation and then into action and then to sin and then into God's truth. And we spoke about action begetting action, and one. One action requires an equal and opposite reaction. And this is good and it's accurate and it's true. And when we turn to God, it's through God's grace that action is taken. And that action is a surrender to God's love. And so looking at that cycle again and returning to God, returning to God by very nature requires God. Because it's God's truth in the first place. This is where confession is met to the point of perfect love, that is found at the cross. The place where the dead are made alive. The forgiveness is found that hearts are cleansed and not burdened anymore. It's where the chains of brokenness that we carry around, like Bob Mar, not Bob Marley, um, a Christmas story. Bob Cratchit. Cratchit. Thank you very much. (laughs) Pulling around those chains. Confession takes us to a place of God's redemption. It takes us to a holy hospital, if you will, to renew our souls and tend to the wounds that we have chosen to create by not listening to God. It takes the broken heart and replaces one that beats after God's very own. And our intimacy with God can be found in places closest to God's truth, which is His holiness. See, we began the series to become a church, become a people after God's own heart, find intimacy with Him, and it begins with confession. In the New Testament, there's a there's a word. For peace and it means to reconcile or or join or or be at oneness and this what confession does is it reconciles us with God it joins us with God and it allows us to be at oneness with God and see there's some words in this world that are that are hard to translate and peace is one of them, especially that peace that surpasses all understanding peace and there are some missionaries in in a, in, a foreign country, in a foreign country that were having a hard time translating the Bible into this native language. And one of the indigenous uh, men that was working with them, was, who was a translator, was trying to come up with a combination of words in the native tongue that would understand and translate peace, as in reconcile, to be at oneness with. And the word that they came up with, or the, the, the phrase of the word translates as a heart that sits down. When our heart sits down with Jesus, when we join Him, when we are at one with Him, with God through the Son, we are at peace. When we confess to God, which comes and means we come into agreement with God, which simply means that we have our heart sit down with Jesus, we're at peace. Real peace. That peace that has escaped us that keeps us from going to bed at night and then keeps us awake and then we wake up in a panic that we're going to have to start all over again. I want us to consider something practical regarding the cleansing and confession of our lives. Confession is not a one and done. Any more than you might uh, consider only bathing once in your life. <clears throat> ongoing, The confession is an ongoing cleansing just like taking a shower or a bath. It's something we do Without thought or concern. In fact, some would consider even taking a hot bath as a reward. Perhaps we look at confession like that because we've overcomplicated and we've turned into something it's not. When we confess, it's a reward to our souls, allowing God to cleanse us, to make us whole, to make us at peace with Him. I think it's time for us to step out of our unconfessed sin, step out of our brokenness, step out of all that is not a God's truth, and simply abide in the Lord through the power of His Spirit, allowing His healing, His cleansing, and His restoring of His image within us to overwhelm our souls. So our challenge this week, when was the last time you felt peace and oneness with God? How desperate are you to feel God's forgiveness and have uh, your heart sit down with Jesus? Ask God what needs confessing in your life and come into agreement with Him. If you are able, would you please stand to receive a blessing? May your life come into agreement with God's truth as your heart sits down with Jesus. May you find peace. May you find healing. May you know a freedom that only comes through confessing that Jesus is Lord and ask His help to cleanse you of all that doesn't belong in your life. May you connect, grow, and serve in our community as freed followers of Christ that embrace, live, and share the gospel of life with all people. Amen. You are sent.